So we're now on week three of our series, Why or Church, Why Bother? And so we've been beginning to unpack exactly what it is that God is intending for his church to be and what he had always intended for church to be. For some, church is an institution. For some, church is a building. And for others, the church is the people of God. But it is and it has always been a place of controversy. Some people love the church while others hate it. And that can be true of both those who are within the church and those who are outside of it. If you go onto our SoundCloud page where you can listen back to our um, series, it, the description says has these couple of questions in it. It says, have we forgotten why Christ designed the church how he did? And have we elevated the wrong things and forgotten the aspects that truly make it shine? Last week, Neil spent some time leading us through Ephesians and how our culture has made church into made church gatherings into something that's more of a consumerist, what we can get out of it, rather than a gathering to worship together, to worship the creator of church, to worship our God. And it's become more about our us being the audience rather than God being our audience and receiver of our worship. And so this morning, as we continue in this series, and, and actually, I suppose, even just given what we've been talking about with regards to the, the pub and the village, um, it's probably quite relevant that this morning we're going to spend some time looking around the idea of love and why love is so vital to how God has designed his church. So we live in a world that has a bit of a warped understanding of love. According to Google, there's over 100 million songs that have been written about love. It also tells me that this year alone, 700 or over 700 movies have been released that fit into the love or romance genre. And as children, we're often told fairy stories or movies or watch movies like Snow White or Shrek or Frozen, where something that happens that only true love can fix and often in the form of a kiss. There are hundreds of different dating apps and websites out there. And I, I don't have an issue with, with online dating, but I think it says a lot about our society when we think that it's an acceptable way to show, or to, based on a single photograph, that we can choose or we can see the value in a person by swiping one direction or the other. And... I'm not even exactly sure where to begin when you look at the t some TV series that are out there, including Love Island. But what we can see when we see all these things is that regardless of our understanding of love, of what it really means and what it really is, that each and every one of us has a longing to be loved. And I don't just mean in the romantic sense. Each of us needs love. If you've done any training around child protection, you'll know of a thing called the Convention of the Rights of a Child, and they recognize that love is a right and that it's needed to live and to thrive. And so while we're living in this world that is trying to project a perception that we're becoming a more loving and more accepting society, it seems that in many ways that under the pretense of love and acceptance, we're just as divided with many people struggling to feel connected. And I'm sure many of you were aware, um, it was on Facebook a lot, that this week um, was Suicide Prevention Week. And it's such an important issue to be talking about and to be raising awareness of. But the fact that we have to have a week to raise awareness just shows how 
disconnected and how much people are feeling this lack of love and lack of connection and how that is the reality for many people. But true love, that Jesus, love that made Jesus choose to give up his life for us isn't about everything looking or acting or thinking in the same way. And it's not about denying um, the pain or the emptiness that we experience. True love is knowing that each and every person has been made in the image of God and that we are loved deeply because of this and this alone. I heard someone use an illustration of gravity. So gravity works regardless of whether we believe in it. It works regardless of whether we know about it. It works regardless of whether we understand what it is. And it isn't going to stop working just because we say we don't believe in it or someone chooses not to believe in it or because we don't understand it. Gravity exists and it keeps us grounded on the earth. And so it is with love. So we're going to turn to a passage in the Bible that is probably quite familiar to many of you. Um, Although maybe not in this context, many of us would have heard these verses read at a wedding and maybe even your own. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. So it says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is, in, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put my ways, the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul's first visit to the church in Corinth is recorded in Acts 18. And when he arrived there, he connected in with other believers and spent around three and a half years establishing the church in Corinth. And when he left, he moved on to Ephesus and then spent a further three years there. And while he was there, he heard some concern and reports of some of the things that were going on with, within the church in Corinth. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians and then eventually went on to write 2 Corinthians. So the first letter covers a variety of issues that was going on in the church. Unity among believers, spiritual freedom, holy living, church discipline, proper worship, the hope of resurrection. But an overarching theme, a theme that overlaps all of these and is intertwined amongst each of these that Paul addresses in throughout 1 Corinthians is the need for true love within the church and not the fairy tale kind, but the kind that causes unity between believers. 
the kind that brings spiritual freedom, the kind that is centered around holy living, the kind that understands the need for discipline and accountability, and the kind that uses the gifts that God has given us for his glory and his worship. So a lack of true love was an undercurrent for the Corinthian church. It was creating disorder and it was creating problems in the life of their church and their worship time together and in their use or even perhaps misuse of their spiritual gifts. The word love, again, according to Google, is used between 310 and 550 times, depending on which version of the Bible you use. And in this verse, in, or in these 13, cha- 13 verses alone, it's used eight times. So Paul was clearly trying to get the attention of the church, and God is clearly trying to get our attention. And as poetic as this passage is, it's not simply a romantic idea that sounds nice when it's read at a wedding, but it's a call to go deeper deeper with the Father, and deeper with our relationship with his church. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Patience and kindness are words that Paul uses in Romans 2.4 to describe God himself. God himself is love. His very essence is love. And sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we think of love as just one of his characteristics, along with holiness or or the other things that we um, ascribe to God but God is holy love it is the very essence of his being and his other sorry his other attributes are expressions of his love I don't know if you've ever heard people talk about God um, the old testament God and the new testament God as if he's like two separate people within or two separate gods Um, but I had a teacher at school who used to refer to the God of the old testament was like the smiting fire and brimstone God and the God of the new testament was the lovey-dovey God who made everything better but actually as I read the bible I don't see two different gods I see one God who was always loving loving in the beginning when he created Loving when he provided an alternative sacrifice instead of Isaac. Loving when he, helped, when he brought his people to freedom from the um, Egyptians. And loving when he continued with them throughout the years it took them to make it to the promised land. God was and is and always will be love. And it seemed that the church in Corinth needed to be reminded of this as much as we do. Paul's letter to the Corinthians shows they were dealing with lots of issues and issues that many churches, including our own, are dealing with today. They were struggling with envy. They were struggling with thinking of themselves with more importance than others, with pride, with rudeness, with anger. But overall, they were struggling with a lack of true love. Love keeps no records of wrong. God sent Jesus so that our records of wrong would no longer have power over us. When we accept him, God will no longer keep records of our past, of our mistakes, of the embarrassment and shame-filled moments of our lives. So if God keeps no record of wrongs, then why do we think that we have the right to? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love rejoices in truth. I don't know if you've noticed, but people have started using the word truth in a bit of a different way to the way that I would understand it. It's become a bit of a subjective thing. So someone, you might hear people say, well, this is my truth and that's your truth. 
And even, with, even if the two things are actually complete opposites and completely contradict each other, they're both still counted as valid because my truth is my truth and you can't tell me that my truth is not valid. But actually that's not truth, that's an opinion. And it's like the world has begun to accept this word truth and use it in this way to give valid, validity to their opinion. But the truth is that truth is truth. Truth is not something that wavers. It's not fleeting. It doesn't change with how we're feeling. But the Bible is truth. Jesus is truth. And when we know true love, we too will love truth and be able to rejoice in it. Love is an action. Love is something that will continually happen. It lives and it moves. And it's not something that is just easily described in one verb but rather in many. And we see in this passage, Paul uses a variety of words to describe what love is and what love isn't. But clearly it's an action. It's defined by being something that we do. God intended that love would be the distinguishable characteristic of his church. So are we loving the way we've been called to? The church isn't about reconciling people to us. The church is about reconciling people to God. In other words, God didn't create church so that we could all get along and have to think the same way and do the same thing, and even that we would all be best friends. But God created his church so that we would come together, united, reconciled to him, our glorious creator, and be able to worship him, even despite our differences. The church has always been about looking up first, both individually and collectively as a church, and then looking out. Because when we look up first, whether it's on our own or in, in a church setting, our perspective begins to align with that of heaven, which means our ability to look out becomes completely centered around love. And for too long, and I know there's times when I have been guilty of this, the church has been so good at looking out so good at, um, like we saw on the Facebook page, so good at making comment on what's going on in the world around them, and so good at saying things and um, calling other people out on what's going on in their situation and in their, and coming up with solutions for other people because um, we know all the answers, right? And looking out before we look up. And we become so distracted by those differences that when we then go from looking out first to then looking up, our eyes are so clouded, our minds are so clouded with all these issues and all these problems and all this that is, everyone else has problems, but we're okay. And the world around us and the things around us and our church and maybe the chairs are uncomfortable or the speaker's message didn't really speak to me this morning. But in the story of, or in the book of Matthew, there's a story where Jesus is talking to the people in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to notice the beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while there is still a beam in your own? You hypocrites, first take the beam out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I think that taking the log out of our own eye begins when we look up first, when we turn to God and we look at him first. And that's not to say that some of those issues that we were seeing when we were looking out weren't valid and that they aren't still issues. But when our posture is looking up first, love becomes our perception and our perspective when we then go to look out. And so I'm going to get some help to illustrate this next bit. So, okay. 
So our chapter starts off in verse 1. And it says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. There we go. So I don't know about you, but when we look out into the world, there's lots of things happening. There's lots of opinions and there's lots of people throwing out things that they are, that's their opinion, but actually they're trying to claim that it's truth. And there's lots of people passing judgment on how other people are choosing to live. And there's lots of people that think that just because they feel something or they have this opinion that not only do the whole world need to know about it, but the whole world need to think and feel it too. And our politicians and our journalists are throwing out lots of statements about where our country are going or what's the right thing to do or um, where we should be going. But because their perspective hasn't started with looking up, it's started with looking out, it just sounds a bit like this. Go for it really hard. <laughs> when I was growing up, um, I'd been told, if I, if I was being told off for something, particularly if it was something that I'd been told off for before, one of my mum's favourite things to say was, um, I don't want you to tell me that you're sorry, I want you to show me that you're sorry. And at the time, that was really annoying. <laughs> um, she wanted my sorry to be a verb. She wanted my sorry to be an action. And she wanted my actions to match what my words were telling her I was going to do. And I think that's what God wants our love to look like. We can say that we love, but if we throw our opinions around without care or thought of the impact it will have on those around us, are we truly loving? Regardless of how true the words are, if we do not have love, we sound just like this. <laughs> just like this loud crashing cymbal that's a harsh noise that actually is painful to listen to if we had to listen to it for a really long time. Thank you, Daniel, for your help. <laughs> have you ever had someone tell you something that was actually, that they tried to disguise as being loving, but was actually quite hurtful? Like they said, just because you're my friend, you should know this, but, or just because I love you, but, or I love you, but. With God, love has no but. So when we add, so when we, when we're speaking to people, when we add those three letters, when we add the word but, it's like we're saying, we're not actually saying we love you. We're saying we will love you when you change this, or we will love you when you do this. Whatever comes next, even if it's constructive, even if it is to encourage, even if it potentially is going to bring that person forward. When we say, I love you, but actually it's just going to sound like that clanging symbol. It's not going to have, it's not going to resonate. It's not going to be the words of love that that person needed to hear. The only way I can have love and the only way I can learn to love truly is by looking up to the father first. Sometimes we become too self-reliant we find that we can get by without looking up. We can look at, we can, we can get by, we can manage. But true love, the love that we see in the Gospels, is calling us to more than getting by. It's calling us to lives that are deeper than getting by. And lives that are deeper and more filled as we look up and filled from the Father. And then we can share from that place as we begin to look out into our communities. And whether we realize it or not, the people around us need us to know what true love is. 
to understand the true love of our Heavenly Father and to be carriers of that love. And actually, if I'm honest, and I'm sure if you're honest, we want the people in our lives to do that for us, to remind us to go to that posture of looking up first. I need to be held accountable to keep me looking up before I begin to look out. There's a book by a man called Bob Goff, and it's called Love Does. And if you've not read it, I would highly recommend reading it. But he has a quote in it that says, love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. Love has always been in action, from creation to Jesus' death, from, to his resurrection and the Holy Spirit being sent. Love has always been moving. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always, persever always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, that what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I was a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Father, thank you that from the beginning you have always been about love, that you are love, and that you have always been acting and moving out of love. God, as we... Um, as we figure out what this looks like in our lives, Father, help us to continue to begin from that posture of looking up. Help us to trust you and to know that you are in control. And sometimes when we don't feel like loving, Father, help us to turn to you and ask for you to move in us and to reveal what love looks like for the situations around us, for the people around us. And so, Jesus, we thank you and we love you. God, would you continue to reveal your heart for our community? Would you continue to reveal your heart for those around us? And today as we go about our day, Father, help us to walk in your love. Help us to be carriers of your love and help us to share that love with those around us in a way that isn't going to sound like a clashing symbol, but in a way that is going to truly reveal your heart for them. In Jesus' name.